Pray with me. Almighty God, you are sovereign. You're in complete control of, of the things that happen in our lives. You're in complete control of the things that happened in Kyle's life. Growing up in much dysfunction. And Father, this morning I pray that you'd open up our eyes to your sovereign plan and your sovereign goodness. God, would you show us your your faithfulness? Would you show us your grace to, to take the things that are jacked up and bring restoration and healing and wholeness to them? God, would you meet with us and engage us this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Dysfunction. So that's the word that is just in my head as I, as I heard this story, as I grew up in so many senses with Kyle. Dysfunction. But we live in a world where dysfunction is, is pretty common, right? And if we're honest, every single one of us in this room has dysfunction in our lives. Every single one of us has family issues in our lives that we want to deny, that we want to push away, that we want to act like aren't true. But if we're honest, dysfunction is a present reality. Okay, and so one of the things I want to do real quick is I want to take you into the scriptures and I want to show you some dysfunction. Now, what we want to do oftentimes when we look at the Bible, we want to think that because it's in the scriptures, um, it must be pretty, right? I mean, it's the Bible, it's, it's God, it's Jesus, everything's happy. But if you spent any time in the Bible and you know anything more than John 3.16 and Romans 8.28, you know that there's some jacked up people in the scriptures, is there not? Okay, and there's some jacked up families in the scriptures, some dysfunction going on. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that, that somewhere along the line, uh, families, even some in, in our midst, even in my own life and in, 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 in my friends' lives, they began to walk a road and even the people in scripture began to walk a road where they denied the reality of their creator and the purpose that God had for them. Right? And we're going to look at some stories in the scriptures where, where these families, and even in our own lives, where we let sin rule and reign. We don't deal with the sin in our lives. We don't deal with the presence of the sin in our lives. People who have never done what Mike and Rachel did this morning, or maybe did what Mike and Rachel did this morning, but somewhere along the line, something got off track because we live in a dysfunctional, broken world. But the hope is, and I'll just tell you right now, because you know it, is that we know a hopeful, gracious, healing God. Um, so let's just run through a couple things real quick. I want to look at a couple of dysfunctional families in the Bible. And then we're going to wa- watch the redemptive side of Kyle's story and then um, see how God's grace has been put on display. But I mean, they're all over the place. Like I could go to probably any family in the Bible and show you dysfunction, right? Okay, I'm just going to hit a couple quick. Um, the first one, Abraham. Okay, like, we'll skip Adam and Eve, you know, the dysfunction of that, can't enable to kill each other, you know, one killed the other, like, that's dysfunctional. Like, first family in the Bible, like, thanks for setting us off, right? Okay, um, but Abraham, Abraham pretended that his wife wasn't his wife, lied, saying Sarah is my sister on two different occasions, 
Okay, and then, then Abraham conceived a child with a servant girl, Tamar, Ishmael. Okay, like that's not God's design. Like when God set this thing up, he didn't say, here's the plan. Like that's, that's dysfunctional. Okay, uh, here's one, uh, you, may, you know, Abraham kind of set the tone there. Lot, Abraham's nephew. Do you know much about Lot? Well, what do we know about Lot. They're living in an awful land of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And Lot had two beautiful virgin daughters, right? And so what happened? These two men came to Lot's home because he knew Lot had visitors, but they were male visitors. And these two men came lusting after these other male visitors. And here's what Lot does. Lot says, no, I got two virgin daughters. I will give you them. Really? Like, I have a little girl. Really? Like, that's dysfunction, is it not? Okay, and then what happens? They flee the land, okay, after Lot's wife is killed because of her disobedience, turns into a pillar of salt. Kind of weird, but um, turns into a pillar of salt. And then what happens? Lot and his two daughters, they go and they live in the caves because God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, they go and they live in the caves, and Lot's daughters come to this realization, there's no men to fulfill me. So what are we going to do? Well, I got an idea. We'll, um, we'll sleep with that. We'll, we'll get him drunk, and we'll sleep with him. And both of them, on two different occasions, can, got their dad. They conceived children from their dad. Okay, that's dysfunctional. It's not how God designed it. Isaac... Isaac follows in the footsteps of his father, Abraham. He lies about his, his wife, Rebecca, saying, she's my sister. Huh, wonder where he learned that, right? Okay, and then Rebecca schemes with her son, Jacob, against her husband and her other son. Okay, and so you have Rebecca and Jacob. They come up with this plan so that Jacob can get, get Esau, the older brother's blessing, from Isaac, the father. And so what happens? They, they, they lie and deceive and, you know, dad's old and he's blind and we can trick him and, and it happens. And then, then, you know what happens next? Esau's like, I'm going to kill my brother. Some of you maybe thought that. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to kill him. Mom says, uh, Jacob, we got we to pack you up. You got to go to the un- uncle's house. You go to uncle's house, we'll hide you away at uncle's house, and then um, when Esau forgets what's happened, then you can come home. Okay, that's dysfunctional. That's crazy. Jacob, we just, we just talked about it. He's, he's deceived his father. Okay, on top of that, he had 13 children from four different women. And then he showed favorites to one son, Joseph, and the brothers hated that son. So what did they do? They sold him into slavery, was thrown into a pit, tried to kill him. That didn't work. So then they sold him into slavery, and then they, they lied. Dad, uh, Joseph's dead. And then Joseph ended up becoming the one who was the salvation for the family in the midst of a famine. Like, that's dysfunctional. Like, should we talk about David, or should we just skip that one? I mean, we could go on and on and on. David, you know, what began with lust turned into adultery, that turned into a deception, that turned into murder. Do you know what? 
from this family line came Jesus Christ. So, so you think that you're maybe different. <laughs> like, I got a dysfunctional family. Like, there's nobody who has more of a dysfunctional family in all of history than Jesus Christ. And yet, the hope of what God's done to restore what's been broken through all the midst of this dysfunction. And as you hear the, the redemptive side of, of Kyle's story, and I'll get into a little bit more of his story in a little bit, as you begin to hear that redemptive side, like as you sit here this morning, I want you to come to grips with this reality, that no matter what's in your head about the, the struggles of the past or the dysfunction of your life, or like it's Mother's Day and I hate Mother's Day or whatever, that God is a healer and a restorer of what's been broken and what's dysfunctional and in, in dysfunction. God's grace and God's name and God's power can be shown and displayed in ways that, that what we would like to happen, normalcy in some sense, there wouldn't be a place for God to come in and say, look at me, I'm the rescuer. I want to show you a couple statistics. Look at these, they'll be on the screen. 63% of teens that commit suicide come from a fatherless home. 85% of children that are diagnosed with behavioral problems come from a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts are from a fatherless home. Fatherless children are two times more likely to drop out of school than children that live in a mother-father home. 70% of juveniles that are held in state-operated institutions are from a fatherless home. Out of 7,000 inmates in a prison, 39% of the inmates grew up in a fatherless home. Children in father-absent homes are five times more likely to be poor. And in 2002, 7.8% of children in married coupled families were living in poverty compared to 38.4% of children in female householder families. And here, here's the question that's in my head. Is like, what kept Kyle from flying off the handle? I'm going to read these statistics, and I hear his story, okay? And I was a part of his story for so long. Okay, a kid who, when he was in middle school, was taught the function of a condom and yet was married as a virgin. A kid who grew up in bars and pool halls. You don't want to play this guy in pool, okay? Grew up in that setting. Okay, I remember in high school, we played basketball together, and from the end of school to practice, there was like two hours lag time, okay? And so we'd go over to his house, a bunch of the guys, and we came up with this, you know, creative title, like we'll call it the Dead Poet Society, and we'll read literature together, right? Okay, and so... Um, we thought that was pretty creative. Um, and so we, we read literature. And I remember being like, uh, Kyle, I want a soda. And so he'd be like, yeah, it's right behind the bar. And in his basement in high school was a full bar. Okay. And it wasn't until he was 23 years old on his honeymoon that he had his first drink of alcohol. 
Like, if you don't know what that is, like, that's the favor and the protection of God. That's the grace of God. A mom who happened to, oh, we'll put him in the private school because that just seems like the best option. It was God's option. It was God's sovereign plan, his sovereign protection over Kyle, over Kelly, his sister, okay, that, that, that God would protect in the midst of so much dysfunction, so much craziness, and that for 13 years, he would be poured into by incredible people who invested in his life, who acted as mentors, one who's here today that's a mentor to me, okay, and who invested in him, and at the age of 14, he surrendered his life to Christ, and he began to live out what it meant to follow Jesus with his life. And here's the crazy thing, is that both him and his sister from that school married into incredible Christian families, and both of their spouses are here today. That's God's grace in the midst of so much chaos, so much dysfunction. Like, you do the math. That doesn't add up. But the deal is that God loves bad odds. I want to take you to a passage. You can turn in your Bible, or you can turn in your mind, or you can turn to the screen, whichever option you want. But I want to take you to Jeremiah 29.11. I want to show you four things out of Jeremiah 29.11 um, about that I think teach us from this story or more so, Jeremiah 29, 11 teaches us what to believe and see out of this story. Here's the passage. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The first thing I want to point out is this. Your story is wrapped up in God's ultimate redemption story. Okay, it's not your story. Okay, some of you are thinking about, you know, the future, and some of you thinking about the past, and some of you thinking about what you've done wrong or what you want to do. Like, it's not your story. It's God's story. But God has a redemptive plan, and if we're honest, we come to the realization that we're players in the game of redemptive history. That God's writing a story that's so much bigger than you, that's so much bigger than I, that's so much bigger than Kyle. It's his ultimate story. Why would this be a freeing truth? Because when I hear this, like, I'm like, that's so freeing. I remember growing up, I remember telling my pastor growing up, like, I'm just afraid I'm going to miss God's will for my life. And I never understood why he looked at me so baffled. He's just like, and I was like, wait, is that, like, I'm missing something. He's looking at me weird, but he's not telling me anything. Like, listen, here's the deal. Like, you're going to screw it up. You are. I am. You have. I have redemption of his grace being flexed and when we come to this reality we stop stressing out about the fact that we're gonna mess this thing up you are you have i have too second thing god's plan is about his glory primarily a god's plan for all of life is his glory and his fame. That's God's plan. Okay? Primarily, above all else, he's doing things of far greater weight than you could ever imagine, that I could ever imagine. There's a passage in Isaiah 42. It says this, I am the Lord, 
That is my name. He's like, I just want to get this clear. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Here's the deal. Your sinful legacy, your sinful heritage does not have the ability to thwart God's glory and God's fame and God's plan ultimately. Like we give ourselves way too much power and way too much strength. We think we have way too much ability. God's wiser than that and stronger than that. And he knows how to put his glory on display. But here's the crazy thing. In the midst of that, while God's primarily about his glory, the third thing is this. God's plan is about your well-being secondarily. So while he's about his glory, he's about manifesting his praise and glory to the ends of the earth, he's about you. Like he loved, like you heard Kyle say, like he came to grips with the loving reality of a loving father. There's a, there's a word in Jeremiah 29, 11, it's the word prosper. You know, it's the same word for peace. It's shalom. It's this idea of completeness conveyed not merely the absence of conflict and turmoil, but also the notion of positive blessing, especially in terms of right relationship with God. Here's the deal. God didn't forget about when you and you were abandoned. God didn't forget about you when, you when the bottom fell out of your life, but all the more, his goal for you as a Christian is that you might become complete in him that you might find your satisfaction in him and that the broken pieces of your life, that as he restores them, that as he does what he wills with them, that he might draw you to him. It's interesting because I think, I think if I would ask Kyle how he would rewrite the story of his life, I think he would probably include a presence of his dad as a child. I think that if I would rewrite the story of my life, I'm like, my mom wouldn't have had cancer and my dad wouldn't have broke his neck a month ago. Like, I wouldn't include those things. Like, that just doesn't make sense, does it? Like, why? Like, that's just so dysfunctional. It's just so weird. It's just so wrong. Like, but like, here's the thing. Like, in the midst of that brokenness, like, God shows up. Amen? Like, anybody, anybody experienced that? Like God puts his face in the picture and he shows himself to be a loving father. Because it's like, really like, you know, abandoned parents, like, you know, we've talked, we've looked at stories or near suicides, people living in fear. We've looked at all these different stories and it's like, really like happily ever after? You know, that's what I dreamed. So I was hoping for. But here's the thing, if by those means we get God's grace, then we have to come to grips with the reality that those things are a gift from God. That it's people who deserve hell. Like, I don't deserve a loving earthly father. Why did I get one? I don't know. And through this, like, the amazing ways that that we've all, who've been in this community, have watched Kyle walk the road of pursuing God and leading his wife and raising his daughter. Having not seen that from his own dad. And yet, the presence of a loving father, who's a father to the fatherless. 
Here's the last thing. God's plan for your future is better than your plan. Because what does the verse say? It says, I know the plans I have for you. And you're like, we're thinking like, really? Like, I could have come up with something better than that, God. Okay, but let me, let me fill you in very quickly the historical context of Jeremiah 29, 11, Because we want to throw, we want to trash this verse because we don't really understand. But here's the context of Jeremiah 29, 11, Okay, you have God's people, the Jews, Jerusalem is just destroyed, okay, and God tells the Babylonians to take his Jewish people captive through King Nebuchadnezzar, and so the Jewish people who have just lost their land are taken into Babylon and now are called by God to serve the Babylonians, okay, and so think about that, like they're called to serve their captors, they're called to live in in their land and, and, you know, pump money into their restaurants and boost their economy and have children and live lives and serve their enemies, more or less, for 70 years. And after they kind of complain about it and what, and like God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And God's grace is able to take what's broken and what's dysfunctional and bring restoration. Amen. Have you experienced that? You've seen that? Okay. And someone who I've heard Kyle so many times say, divorce has marked my family. And by God's grace, it will mark it no more. But that's God's grace. The even has the opportunity to walk in that. And we experience God's grace this morning, no matter what dysfunction you're in or what you come out of. God, God's wiser than you, and he has a plan for you that doesn't compare with what we compile in our own heads. He's calling us this morning to trust him and to trust his grace and let him flex his grace for us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that You've done a, a magnificent work in Kyle's life. I thank you that you give me the opportunity to, to journey with him in that. And God, I pray that, that we would get our minds around the truth of your goodness and the truth of your sufficiency for our lives. Thank you that you're a loving father, that you're a father to the fatherless, that in the midst of dysfunction, in the midst of abandonment, God, that you would remind us that you're writing a story that's better than ours, that you're bringing about your plan, your goodness um, through, in and through our lives, that ultimately we're graced to be able to be a part of the story of redemption that you're writing. So God, thank you. Um, We praise you in Christ's name.